Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver, and we have got as loaded a show as we've had all calendar year long in 2023. I cannot wait. My man, Mike Guido, co-founder of the Grid Network, and as far as I'm concerned, our NBA draft aficionado will be stopping by in about 30 minutes. Of course, we will talk NBA draft, which we'll be covering, by the way, here on the Grid Network live in a couple of weeks. Uh, but we'll get to that as well as uh, some stories surrounding the NBA finals, as well as the Kyrie Irving report, the report that Kyrie Irving might be recruiting LeBron James to go to Dallas, and why I think that would be a truly horrendous fit. Uh, we'll also get into the Eagles reportedly almost trading for Russell Wilson last offseason, get into that, uh, as well as a plethora of other storylines around the NBA. I'll get into the, I hesitated to talk about this on the show last week, but I say like, you know what, I, I feel like I'm in the right mind space. I feel like I, I, I had the, the right uh, take ready to go for today's show. I'm going to get into the whole Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp uh, divorce, because that's really what it is. Shannon, of course, agreeing to a buyout with FS1. Everybody's talking about it in the sports media landscape, and I will give you my take as to why they have officially split later today. And I also, by the way, will give my Game 3 prediction of these NBA Finals with this series tied at a game apiece. But first... Why this series is tied at a game apiece is because the Miami Heat won last night by a final score of 111 to 108 in Denver, handing the Nuggets their first loss of the postseason and their first, sorry, their first home loss of the postseason and their first home loss period since March. So they did something that's very difficult to do um, in going into Denver, going into Ball Arena in a, I wouldn't say a crazy hostile crowd, not to take a shot at the Nuggets fans, but listen, it's it, it's a loud environment. First of all, before I get into the game itself, can I just say right off the bat that, again, it's a 1-1 series. It's a best of five at this point, with Miami now having the home court advantage heading into game three in about 48 hours. But what bothered me more than anything, headed into this series, headed into game two, heck, as I'll get into with my prediction at the end of today's show, headed into game three, was this notion that, ah, you know, Miami, they're just they're just kind of the, they're the Cinderella story. They're not really supposed to be here. And Denver's just this juggernaut that's just going to run all over them. To, my, to which my response was, how? This is a Heat team that waxed a 58-win Milwaukee Bucks team in the first round, took care of business against a very good New York Knicks team in the second round, and beat a 57-win Boston Celtics team that just played in the finals last year 
and at one point had a 3-0 lead in doing so. And let's be real, outplayed them in five of the seven games. And I was supposed to believe that this Heat team was just, ah, they're going to come back to earth. As the old Cinderella story goes, they were going to turn into a pumpkin. Why is that? And again, and, and I'm glad I'm glad we got to see sort of shifting into the game now. I'm glad we got to see last night, or at least the, the country got to see more than ever in this postseason. What certainly I've been seeing, I think a lot of folks have been seeing all playoffs long, is that Miami's really deep, okay? They're, this this notion that it's it's Jimmy just dragged them to this point, like LeBron dragged those Cavs to No, 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 no. Jimmy was solid last night. He was more, I think, impactful on the defensive end, but made some big shots the fourth quarter. First half did a good job of getting his teammates involved. I think Eric Spolster starting Kevin Love was big in that regard. But you've got guys like Gabe Vincent, who arguably could have, you know, uh, no, I was thinking about Caleb Martin, could have been the Easter Conference Finals MVP. But you got Gabe Vincent, who's going to be a free agent this summer and uh, is going to get a pretty pretty nice little contract. I think it's fair to say. You've got a Bam out of bio who, as a guy who picked the Heat going in the series, for me, was my biggest concern. You watch Bam the, for the first two games, certainly last night, you're like, dang, they can't survive when he's not on the floor. Last night, gave you a 21 and 9 and good defense on Jokic, efficient shooting from the field. And by the way, was kind of like the point center himself to a lesser degree than obviously Jokic was last night. But a big key in this game, there's a couple of keys in this game that I talked about following game one headed into this game. The first thing was, for Miami's side, in terms of things they absolutely could control on the court. Game one, they could not buy a three-pointer. And that's despite the fact that they got open looks. I mean, wide open looks. Again, I, I read the I read the stat uh, off on Friday's show that they shot like 30% or something crazy on what ESPN stats considered wide open threes. Like if the defender was six or more feet away from the shooter. Wide open threes, they shot 30% less uh, in game one. I didn't get the stat for wide open threes in this game. Here's what I do know. Miami went 17 for 35, 48, 48, 49%. It's pretty good. And a lot of that, and I tweeted this throughout the game, was the fact that Denver, and they never really adjusted to it. This is why, you know, this these coach these coaching matchups, very important. Michael Blown, who I'll get to later in the show, very good coach. It's not Eric Spolstra. Certainly was not even close in this game. What did Denver struggle with defensively all night long? They could not defend the pick and roll in terms of they get caught up and there'll be a wide open shooter. Here's four instances during the game. So here's first quarter. You get a screen here. Max Struess is wide open and he's going to knock down this corner three. Struess, by the way, had a really good first quarter off that pass from Kyle Lowry. Here's a second one. Jimmy again and Max Struess. They get caught up at the pick and roll, doubling Jimmy. Max Struess, open three. Cashes it in. Here's third quarter. Little double screen here. Kevin Love, good look. They lose him. Three-pointer there. And then fourth quarter, this is the one that gave Miami the lead. Both guys follow Duncan Robinson. And there's, I think it was Gabe Vincent. Got a wide open three from the left corner. That's 12 points right there, if you're Denver, that are just based off the fact that either you didn't communicate, you weren't entirely sure what the game plan was, are we going to switch everything, what are we doubling... They didn't know what they were doing in those situations all night long. And Miami took advantage of it. That's just 12 points right there in a game that Miami won by three. Not to mention you obviously had uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope fouling uh, Duncan Robinson on a three and fouling Kyle Lowry on a three in the fourth quarter, which you had six points there. 
You think that doesn't make a difference. And the second thing was, and this has kind of been the story in the national media, it's actually even been something that that Eric Spolster himself has, I think, very strategically so, pushed back on. This make Jokic a score thing. I don't have the soundbite by Eric Spolstra, but he was asked after the game by Ramona Shelber, one of the most respected members of the media at ESPN. And she asked him basically, you know, was that the objective? Was that to make Jokic a score so other guys don't get involved, blah, blah, blah. And Eric Spolster kind of cut her off and said like, you know, that's 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 just only uh, to the untrained eye that you could see that. And he like really pushed back, got very defensive about it. It's like, Spo doesn't do that. If that was Greg Popovich, yeah, I could have seen that. I mean, Popovich is notorious for being kind of a jerk to reporters. That's not Spolstra. And especially somebody, again, as respected as Ramona Shelburne is. That, to me, was very, very, very calculated. He seemed to, at least the way I see it, overreact just a little bit to a question that I think that everybody who watched the game saw, certainly Eric Spolster saw, because it was his freaking game plan, that that was what Miami wanted to do against Denver. I talked about on Friday, after game one, that it's pick your poison guarding Jokic, in that if you play straight up, if you play man-to-man, then he's just going to kill you in the high pick-and-roll with Jamal Murray. And again, it's it's impossible to stop. It has been all season for the Denver Nuggets. It was, by the way, for the most part, in 2020 during the bubble. If you play a zone, which Miami is more comfortable in doing, it's what really helped them beat Boston in the last round. It's, okay, if we zone, Jokic can either... You know, shoot that flip shot in the high post. If someone comes down to double, we're going to kick it out to a shooter like a KCP, like a um, Michael Porter Jr., who, by the way, is having an awful series shooting from three thus far, playing right into Miami's hands. And if the shooters are struggling, which they did last night, Jokic would be like, okay, I'm going to take matters in my own, own hands. I'm going to go attack myself. These these little uh, flip shots, the paint, or backing guys down, he flat out, he abused I felt bad for the man. He abused Cody Zeller out there. It was like every time. I should have gotten the soundbite for the show uh, by Shaq. Barbecue chicken alert. That was what that was what Jokic was looking at. It's like he's looking at Cody Zeller. He's like barbecue chicken. He's just going right at him. And he finished with 41 points. But only four assists. And I have said, check the tape. I have said on this show, he was either after the second round against Phoenix or it was when I was predicting the Western Conference Finals when they were playing the Lakers. I said, if you want the best chance to beat Denver in terms of attacking them on the offensive end when Jokic is on the floor, he is way way less dangerous. The Nuggets, let's put it this way, the Nuggets are way less dangerous when he drops 40 or 50 than if he drops 30 with double-digit assists because it gets the other guys involved. It makes Jokic more difficult to defend because now the defenders are having to think about, oh man, if Jamal Murray gets a good look, if MPJ gets an open look, KCP gets an open look, Bruce Brown, oh, and now he's still going to defend Jokic down low. It's it's too much to, wor- to, to worry about, and that's large large reason Denver blew through Minnesota, took care of Phoenix, swept the Lakers. It's because not none of those three teams could really find that answer. And Miami said, you know what, screw it. If Jokic by himself beats us, then he beats us. And that's really been the strategy against Denver all season long. If you look at the numbers, folks, 
the Denver Nuggets this season are, let me make sure I'm getting this number right, three of the Nuggets' four playoff losses in this postseason are when Jokic scores 40 points. 40 or more points. They're 0-3. Because nobody else gets involved. That's part of what makes Jokic so great. We don't think about Jokic as a scorer the way we do a Kevin Durant, the way we do a Steph Curry, the way we do a Giannis. Can he score? Duh. But that's not when he's at his most dangerous. Little Kind of a LeBron James syndrome in that respect. And that's what Miami did. So when I saw Eric Spolstra say what he said after the game and being kind of borderline, borderline, he was, in my view, very disrespectful to Ramona Shelburne. That, to me, was very calculated. That I don't want this narrative out that, oh, yeah, that's, you know, we, we not that we let Jokic score, obviously, but we are going to make him score to, in order to beat us. Very smart move by Eric Spolstra in that game plan. Something else, too. It's something you have to give Miami all the credit in the world for. I saw this stat earlier today, and I almost fell out of my chair when I saw it. It's it's mind-boggling. The Miami Heat have played 20 playoff games to this point. If you look at their point differentials quarter by quarter, it is truly mind-blowing. And it speaks to how poised they are, the fact they've got a number of veterans, one of them, again, Kevin Love, being inserted into the starting lineup, which was huge for the Heat. Listen to the Miami Heat's point total. I'm sorry, uh, uh, point differential quarter by quarter in the playoffs. You ready for this? First quarter, minus one. Second quarter, minus 11. Third quarter, minus 12. Fourth quarter, plus 90. Like that that doesn't even that doesn't even make sense, you know, for a team that's in the finals. But when you have a team that's got the superior coach, that's able to make adjustments, that's got tons of shot makers. Again, I, I heard a lot of and I, I watched the pregame show and, and during halftime uh, on ABC, and not to take a shot at any of those guys because they do a spectacular job, but they're like, Yeah, well, I mean, if Miami's hitting their threes, they're hard to beat, but if they're not. Well, here's the thing. Miami has been hitting their threes. That's why they're here. I mean, again, people talked about, oh, you know, uh, Miami missed a bunch of their threes in game one. Well, that's kind of going to be the case the whole series. Why? They're number one in the playoffs in three-point percentage at 39%. Shocker, shocker, last night, they shoot almost 50%. You knew that they were going to make those adjustments. You knew that those shooters were going to be more locked in. Max Strews being 0 for 10 the last game. Four for ten in this one, with most of those makes coming in the first quarter. Actually, I think might I think all of those makes might have come in the first quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Duncan Robinson, ten huge points in the fourth quarter. All about execution, all about poise, and again, and this to me was probably the most underreported storyline going into these NBA Finals. Miami's got a bunch of dudes who've been there and done that. Denver has really two. And even the, even both those guys were in limited roles. KCP, who won a championship with the Lakers in 2020, and Jeff Green, who I'm pretty sure has only been to one finals. I could be wrong with that, but went to that one finals with LeBron James in 2018 with the Cavs. Miami, psh, most of the roster has been to this stage. Jimmy, Tyler Hero, we'll see if he comes back. 
Um, Kevin Love's been to four finals. Well, this is actually now this is his fifth. Has a championship from 2016. Kyle Lowry, this is his second finals. He won a championship in 2019. Like they've got plenty of do- Bam Adebayo obviously was was on the Heat team that went to the finals in 2020. Udonis Haslam and people like to laugh at this, like oh, old man doesn't play. You don't think his impact is still felt for Miami? He is. This is now his seventh NBA Finals appearance as a player. You don't think that plays factor in any way, shape, or form? I think it does. Denver's never been here. Miami has. You saw how much more poised. By the way, you even saw in game one. You even saw in game one where you had Denver's up like 20-plus going the fourth quarter, and Miami cuts the lead to like eight with three minutes to go. We're like, dang, Miami that may actually come back and win this thing. They were more poised, more comfortable. Spo made the adjustments that I knew he would make. And now it's tied 1-1 going into game two on Wednesday night. We have a comment. Yeah, I, I wondered who was going to pick up on that. I, I mean, listen, my, my man John, John, he, he, he don't miss anything. John Rivera, he says, I see you got your heat colors on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you guessed right, John, John, 100%. Listen, I'm not a heat fan. I'm a diehard Warriors fan until the, you know, I take my final breath on this earth. But listen. Miami, I believed in you all year long. I believed in you since February after the All-Star break, and the Heat are rewarding me. By the way, second segment revolving around this finals. I wanted to get into more of the Denver side of things, in in particular what their head coach said after the game. Michael Malone was first, well, actually I'll, let the audio play for itself, but was asked about basically what he thought about the game. Uh, Denver obviously dropping uh, game two to the Miami Heat. And uh, here's what uh, Coach Malone had to say. Hey, Coach, Brandon Christoph from KOA here in Denver. Can you kind of, I don't know, figure out <laughs> why do you think your starters uh, that weren't Joker struggled scoring, I guess? Well, I don't think the that, that's the biggest question. Now let's talk about effort. I mean, this is the NBA Finals, and we're talking about effort. That's a huge concern of mine. You know, and you guys probably thought I was just making up some storyline after game one when I said we didn't play well. We didn't play well. And tonight, you know, that the starting lineup to start the game is 10-2 to Miami. Start the third quarter. They scored 11 points in two minutes and 10 seconds. Um, and we just got, you know, we had guys out there that were just, whether feeling sorry for themselves or not making shots, or thinking they can just turn it on or off. Um, this is not the preseason. It's not the regular season. It's not round. This is the NBA Finals, and that to me is really, really perplexing, disappointing. And I asked the team, I asked our player, you guys tell me why we lost, and they knew the answer. Miami came in here and outworked us, and we were by far our least disciplined game of these 16 or 17 playoff games, whatever it is now. So many breakdowns, and they exploited every one of those breakdowns and scored. So um, if we're going to try to go down there and regain control of this series and get home court advantage back, we're going to have to outwork Miami, which we didn't do tonight, and our discipline is going to have to be off the charts. Okay, so Michael Malone focusing specifically on his team's effort. That, to me, is really interesting because – that was a big factor that everybody talked about in the series. Like, Denver's the more talented team, but Miami's going to outwork them. Or Miami, the big reason they got here, which, again, I think is 
is true, but it's also the 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 tenor of it is still kind of discounting the Heat actually getting here and having the talent to get here. But again, through the first two games, it has been Miami coming up with the loose balls, offensive rebounds, uh, second chance points were huge in this game, and Michael Malone calling that out. And again, to me, what this it's very interesting. And this is why I really laughed at, and Nuggets fans were all over me on social media about this, particularly on TikTok. I didn't know TikTok could be so vicious. Gee whiz. But Nuggets fans were just killing me. Like, ah, oh, Bryce, you got to give us a respect now. You, you, you got to, you, you've been, you've been trashing Jokic for a year and, and, you know, he shouldn't have been the MVP the last two years and whatnot. There are levels to this. You earn respect. And guess what? Denver did that by getting to the finals. Denver did that even more so by winning game one fairly comfortably. It takes a different level of dedication, commitment, and focus when you are expected to win. That's a different ball game. You are no longer, because we don't have a defending champion in, in the NBA Finals this year, Denver, because of the media attention surrounding them, the newfound media attention, at least I've been lectured, ooh, all of a sudden, a little bit of pressure on you. All of a sudden, uh, Michael Malone might have, as he said, might have been on to something after game one. Like, we didn't play that well. Did the message really get to the team after that game? It didn't through the first few minutes of game two. As he mentioned, 10-2 to Miami. They're making open shots, as I showed on that tape there. A lot of miscommunication, the pick and rolls, leading to wide-open heat threes. Could it be that maybe the Nuggets, uh, crazy, crazy thought, I know, might not be used to this stage? And maybe, as I mentioned at the end of that last segment, maybe Miami's experience helps them a little bit, gives them a little bit of an edge that they've been here before, that a lot of guys who maybe necessarily didn't do it with the Heat, like a Kevin Love who had been to four finals previously, he knows what it's like as a calf to be trailing in series and come back and win. Trust me, I, you don't have to remind me about 2016. You don't have to remind me as a Warriors fan. I, I know. <laughs> and Kevin Love certainly knows. So I thought that was very, very fascinating and very, again, kind of like Spoh's response to Ramona Shelburne's question after the game about Jokic being a scorer. Very calculated by Michael Malone. This was not a message sent to the media. This is like people talking about, oh, is this the, about the media? No, 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 no. This is everything to do with the locker room. Because maybe his form of motivation, every coach has different ways of which they do that, is to, in some ways, and I'm not like, I'm not criticizing it, but in some ways, sort of publicly shame his team. Maybe that gets them fired up because, again, now Miami's got the momentum. They won this game, they outplayed Denver, and they're going back home with home court advantage. By the way, potentially with their third best player coming back, third or fourth best player coming back, we can argue. So I thought that was very, very interesting that Michael Malone, again, the word selection, certain words he used, like, oh, this is a message to us. This is the message to the locker room. This isn't a message to the media or anything of that nature. So. Listen, game three is going to be a blast. Uh, I'll predict game three at the end of today's show. Something else, too. I want to touch on a few more points uh, before uh, before you know we bring Mike on, on the show. 
I want to really give a, a lot of uh, a lot of props to Duncan Robinson because Duncan Robinson and, and I talked about this on IG Live after the game last night. I've I've joked on the show before that if if there was one NBA player I had to compare my you know pickup basketball game to, it's Duncan Robinson because the dude, at least back in the day, couldn't defend, couldn't really handle the basketball, couldn't score in the interior, not really much of a mid range guy, but man, he could shoot. That's really it. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good spot-up shooter off of screens, maybe an occasionally off the dribble, off the screen. That's about all I got. Well, Duncan Robinson, I can no longer compare myself to him because I see him driving down the lane, finishing against much bigger defenders. So props to him for clearly addressing that, that hole in his game and allowing Eric Spolstra uh, the confidence, the, the freedom to play him more minutes uh, than he, he typically does. Again, he only got 17 minutes last night, but it was huge. Again, Heat go down eight, uh, going a uh, heater down eight going in the fourth quarter. And Duncan gives you the 10 points. Only 10 points he scored all game, but very, very impactful. And something else, too, another stat for, for Miami that I wanted to read off here. Uh, because it is, again, I, I mentioned the point differential by quarter. Minus one in the first, minus 11 in the second, minus 12 in the third, plus 90 in the fourth. Here's something else, too, that sort of uh, coincides with that. Sort of is, is, is like a, you know like a direct parallel, if you will. In the playoffs, going into the fourth quarter, if the Heat are going in the fourth quarter, trailing by 10 or more, they're seven and six. Like, they win these games. They're used to these situations, which I think tied the all-time record, which was two Miami teams, I think from, was it 2011 and 2012 Miami, and then last year's Golden State Warriors. The, the, all those teams, the only teams in the NBA history to have seven playoff games where they came back from a 10-point deficit or more at the half. Of course, my Warriors are in there. You know, that's what we did. But, again, kind of speaks once again to heat culture, to poise, to experience, to guys who have been there and done that, to guys like Kayla Martin, Gabe Vincent, and Max Struess who played well in the first quarter, Duncan Robinson who played well in the fourth quarter, knocking down open looks. Again, I can't think all the Miami Heat players that took the floor last night, outside of Haywood Highsmith didn't play all that great, but again, he's, he's, he's a kid. Uh, Kyle Lowry, by the way, played solid, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. Just about every Miami Heat who took the floor, aside from Cody Zeller, made an impact on the game in some way or another. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, though. And listen, I don't want to like you know bully Cody Zeller or anything or, or sound like I'm, I'm just bashing the guy because, I listen, he's Cody Zeller. He's not Shaquille O'Neal. But... I mean, it was unbelievable. Every, I, I should have put a tape together. Every single time he's on the floor, Jokic is going just straight at him. He's not even looking to pass because <laughs> he knows he can get whatever he wants down low. So uh, I think I think, uh, I think, think Eric Spolster is going to have to consider playing him less than less than eight minutes. I know you got to give Bam a break. I understand that, but man, that was, that was hard to watch. And Bam comes in and does a solid job against Jokic, which... I have my doubts. I guess Bam's a very good defensive player, but I'm thinking last round, man, he's struggling against Al Horford. He's struggling against Robert Williams. Like, dang. I don't know, but you give him all the credit in the world. Again, Kevin Love being inserted in the starting lineup, I think it was, a, it was big for him. But a big time win by, by the Miami Heat, and I just, I, I don't like, I just don't like this narrative going into these finals that, and it's still continuing. I'll just, like a little spit of a spoiler alert for when I make my prediction later in the show. Game three is a little over 48 hours from now. Okay. The game is in Miami. 
Miami just won. They're not hurt. As a matter of fact, they might actually be bringing a key player back from injury. And according to Las Vegas, the Miami Heat at home with the momentum with home court advantage are three-point underdogs. Really? Are, are we still doing this? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the eight-seed thing that's blinding betters and fans and media alike. I don't know if it's that they don't have a dominant superstar that can just... Jimmy's capable of taking over games, but I'm talking about like a dude who everybody knows his name, uh, Steph and LeBron and KD, those type of guys who could just take over a game at a moment's notice. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fact that Miami, this is their sixth finals in the last 15 years or so. Maybe it's heat fatigue. I'm not sure, but it's, it is mind-blowing. Den and by the way, Nuggets fans, before y'all get mad at me, that's not to say y'all aren't, aren't a great team because you are. But Miami's also a great team. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it is truly mind-boggling. Uh, so, okay, so Mike, Mike will be on in about uh, 10 minutes or so. Uh, so let me just go ahead and shift to, because I was planning to get into this with Mike and we can still discuss it, but let me just go and uh, shift and pivot to the second segment I wanted to get into on today's show. So we're all kind of waiting for LeBron James' decision. Is he going to retire? Is he going to stay in L.A.? Does he move elsewhere? Uh, we all kind of feel like he's probably going to stay in L.A., probably going to come back and play this season, albeit on uh, limited, minute, limited minutes, maybe a little bit of load management mixed in there. But we got a new um, report from Sham Sharania of The Athletic, one of the best insiders in the game. And it's about six hours ago. He tweets, quote, sources, Kyrie Irving has reached out to Lakers star LeBron James in attempts to see if James would come to Dallas. Irving is a free agent this offseason. So obviously we're kind of waiting to see. And there's a lot of, hey, is Kyrie coming to L.A.? All this and all that, which I have said, if you're if you're the Lakers, assuming LeBron comes back, just fill in a few holes and run this thing back. You just made with a roster that you basically put together Two months before the playoffs, you made the Western Conference Finals. You took out the defending champs in the second round and were absolutely the better team. There's no need to panic. Denver was just better than you this season. Doesn't mean necessarily they'll be better next year. They may be. Run it back with the same group with a, a couple additions in there. Now, again, I still, I will die in this hill. I'm still trying to call Portland and move AD for Damian Lillard, but that's just me. Why would LeBron James go to Dallas? Why would he? You say, well, it's a big three. It's LeBron, it's Luke, it's Kyrie Irving. Here's the issue. And it's it's a little bit similar to, to a lesser degree, but it's kind of similar to what I said when Westbrook went to Los Angeles. You now have LeBron, Kyrie, Luka Doncic. What do all three of those guys have in common? All of them are ball-dominant players. Kyrie's okay off the ball, but still not great. Luka is ineffective off the ball. LeBron doesn't give you a ton in that regard either. You're telling me that you move those pieces to do whatever you do to get LeBron James after you already gave up a ton of assets to get Kyrie. Yeah, it's a big three, but I don't know if you're watching the modern NBA 
And some of this is the, the new CBA. Some of it is just the culture of the game. The style of the game has changed a little bit in that you really only kind of need a big two to be successful. Boston made the finals last year with a big two. Okay, Golden State didn't really have like a big two, but it was a second player would always step up and help Steph Curry. If it was Clay, if it was Wiggins, if it was Draymond. Last year, if it was Jordan Poole, somebody would step up. A couple of years ago, it was uh, the big two in Phoenix of Booker and CP3. And then in uh, Milwaukee, it was either Giannis and Middleton or Giannis and Drew Holiday. Somebody would step up to give Giannis the proper help he needed. Year before that, Lakers, LeBron and AD versus Jimmy and whoever gave Jimmy the requisite help, whether it was Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, etc. You don't need three stars. And by the way, Dallas is already struggling with depth. Now they give up even more depth to get LeBron, which obviously makes you a bigger threat to win the West. But at what expense? You're going to rely on LeBron, Luka, and Kyrie to essentially carry you each and every night, especially in the playoffs, when we know coaching changes, officiating changes. And what do we know? I beat this table over and over and over when LeBron James is at his best, when he's got shooters surrounding him. That's a big reason the Lakers made the moves they made, uh, getting Rui Hachimura, adding D'Angelo Russell, who got really cold in the Western Conference Finals, but played solid in the playoffs before that, adding Malik Beasley, who's a shooter, Lonnie Walker, they added in the offseason, shooter. Same thing with uh, Austin Reeves. Dennis Schroeder's capable of knocking down an open three-point shot. It fits LeBron. That's why the Lakers got as far as they got this season with the roster they just retooled in February. Dallas is the exact opposite. The style doesn't work. Again, I I like Jason Kidd. I'm still a little, little skeptical in terms of whether or not he's the coach to get Dallas over the top. And an underreported story that nobody's talking about, I'm not so sure about Luka in terms of does anybody fit with him? Because we saw the Jalen Brunson experiment, got him to the Western Conference Finals, Brunson leaves, flourishes. We didn't know he had this in him when he went to the New York Knicks and did what he did there. So I think it just in terms of fit, it does not make sense for Dallas whatsoever. To me, if I were LeBron, I'd say, you know, at least make some calls with your buddy Draymond Green in Golden State. It's it's still on the table. Why the heck not? And if not, stay with the Lakers. That's absolutely a championship contending team. Dallas? No, that's not going to work. So I don't listen. Kyrie can try the recruiting thing all he wants, but yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense whatsoever. All right. Joining the show now, he is the co-founder of the Grid Network, and as far as I'm concerned, he is our Jay Billis of this network, or uh, Mel Kuyper if we want to talk NFL. Would you please welcome back to Carving It Up Live? Mike Guido joining the show once again. Mike, what is up, my man? going on man how are you it makes my this box makes my head look big i don't like it <laughs> let's see if i gotta do some adjusting here let's see is that is that better there you go that's better there you that's go. better <laughs> all right so uh first of all what, what what do you think about my whole lebron to dallas take what do you think because i know you're a Cavs guy obviously lebron Kyrie helped your team win a championship what do you think he's not going he's not going I, I, listen i i don't think I, i'm not sure lebron would want to team up with Kyrie irving at this point i'm not sure I, I, honestly, I'm not sure about any of that. I, I just think it's it's that marriage is over. I'd love to see it happen just because I know what it can be, but it's it's over. It's not happening. Thank you. I, I appreciate somebody finally bringing a little bit of objectivity uh, when it comes to that potential re reunite. I still don't get why why some Laker fans are just so intent on, on bringing him to LA. It doesn't make sense. Um, so again, I, I appreciate your take on that. Uh, as far as these NBA Finals, obviously it's tied one one. Miami winning close uh, last night. 
and sort of my take going the series, I'm curious what your thoughts are, is that the notion that coming in that there was just this massive gap between Denver and Miami, when Miami took out two 50-win teams in the playoffs, pretty much waxed the Knicks in the second round, they've got easily the second-best player in the series, and as far as I'm concerned, just as deep of a bench and the better coach. The notion that they're, I mean, again, I checked game three, they're home underdogs. I, I, I don't get it, Mike. Makes sense for me. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, I think Denver kind of got lucky in 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 game one because, you know, you had who was it? It was Caleb Martin, Max Struess and Duncan Robinson shooting a combined two for 23 in that game. So, I mean, it, you're and you only had Jimmy Butler with 13 points in that game also. So I, I think Denver kind of lucked out in that sense. And, you know, like the audio that you played from Mike Malone earlier in the show, when he was saying they didn't play well, and they didn't play well. Denver really hasn't played well the whole series. Now, to kind of, you know, provide a little bit of a plus side to that is that Denver, even when they didn't play well yet, you know, last night, they didn't get blown out. It was a whatever. I mean, it was a closed game. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I think that we're in for a good series at this point. But I, I I agree. I mean, I think this is one of those series where I'm sh- I think probably the home team should be the favorite in every game, and that's just kind of the way it should be. I mean, listen, it was so far in the series. I think it's it's more positive for Miami than it is for Denver. But you know, you have to kind of keep in mind as well that Denver is a team that is so good at this point that even when they don't play well, they can either win or keep it real close. So that's something to keep in mind also. No question about it. Did you, who did you pick in the series? Denver. Denver. Okay. Yeah. I thought the Nuggets, listen, there's just something different about the Nuggets this year. I know what Miami has done is impressive because they kind of snuck into the playoffs again, just like they did with the bubble and they ran through the East and like they took out Milwaukee and then they took out the Knicks who are playing incredible. Like I get it. It's, and they took out Boston who a lot of people had winning the finals this year. So what they've done is really impressive, but Denver has been just taking care of business all season long. And I don't know, Jokic is just a different beast this year. I mean, it just looks like, I mean, and you, you watch the games too, Bryson. I mean, everything, it looks like everything he throws up goes in. It's just insane. He's not even looking at the basket and it's going in. Like, you know, there's always like that one player every year, at least when I watch, right? There's always that one player every year where it just feels like everything is going right for them, and that's what leads them to a title. And I just think Jokic is that player this year. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's an interesting, uh, interesting thought, and that's you perfectly segue into what I was going to ask you with the next question is that... Uh, to, to me, it, it is going to hinge in some regard on whether or not Denver wins or not, because Jokic has obviously been spectacular through the, through the first two games. He's averaging a triple-double yeah. uh, the whole bit. But the thing that I think has been the big discussion among a lot of members of the media is whether or not Jokic, with a title, or even without a title, is the best player in the world. Uh, I think he's in a category with a Giannis, with a Steph. Um, Joel Embiid, the reason, only reason I've t- taken him out of that is because of his playoff performance. 
Yeah. What sort of your thoughts on it, it? Do you think Jokic is the best player in the world? Because he's obviously, in terms of all three facets of the game, you know, again, points, rebounds, assists, is the best uh, statistically. What's what's your thoughts on that? So, see, I'm a terrible person to ask about that because, like, I'm 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 in my draft head right now, so I look at tools, I look at you yeah. know stuff that people have. Jokic is not the best defensive player in the world, so that kind of hinders it for me a little bit. So he may average 30, 15, and 15, but listen, he he averages 1.1 blocks a game or something like that, and right. that ruins it for me. So I'm a bad person to ask, but I do think in, in some sense that Jokic is probably at this point top three or top four. I mean, it's really hard to argue where he's at right now. I'm sure Steph is in the conversation. I still don't know I would take anybody over Giannis right now. I just don't okay. think I would, but you know, because uh, listen, in the in the recent years, and I still think LeBron James has a little bit of a uh, you know a tick in that conversation, even though he's gotten a little older and he's regressed ever so slightly as whatever a thirty eight or thirty nine year old. But, he's still decent, Mike. He's still decent. Yeah, he's still okay, right? Um, but I I listen, Jokic at this point is probably I don't know maybe third or fourth on my list, maybe behind Giannis and Steph Curry, but. But I'm not listen, I'm not sure I would take Steph over him. I'm not sure I would. Okay. He's just so like he just does have you know, other than protect the rim as a center, right? I mean, I I, I don't know. You can't describe his game. I mean, he's literally he's Larry Bird, but better in a sense. It's it's really weird what he does on the floor. And it's just I look, I, I know you're not a fan, you're not a fan of his. MVPs and everything like that. I get it. I get it. You know, my my lovely warrior fan. But oh, okay. I, it, so it has nothing to do with the Warriors, but go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I'm teasing you. But yeah. I, listen, he's just insane. I everything he does with the basketball in his hands is just remarkable. And and this game, it, it like this season, he just seems to be getting better. It's remark it really is amazing. That's the scary thing is the fact that he seemed like he's just now moving into his prime. So, you know, what what is the, what is the peak of his powers? What is that going to look like? That's that's even more scary. And, yeah, I've talked about it all season long. I've talked about it for a while that who do you compare Jokic to? We've never seen a guy quite like him in terms of what he can do with the basketball at that size, at that, you know, stature. Uh, I mean, do you have anybody in mind? And you, obviously, you're a draft guy. Is there anybody that comes to mind that you're like, yeah, I could see Jokic is a little bit similar to him? Yeah, I mean, like if you think about it, I mean, he's he has a very similar play style. I mean, more of a more of a center type, but he's very much like Larry Bird in the sense of he just kind of does everything. He's not very athletic, but it doesn't matter, you know. So there is something in that sense. I mean, you could look back at some of the old guys, right, like Jerry Lucas and guys like that who were hitting thirty five point, you know, thirty five foot, you know, jump shots when there was no three point line. And that matters too. all these guys that were so fundamentally sound with great passing and, and everything like that. But at, amongst like modern day guys, let's say before, you know, like, or let's say after 1980 or 1990 or something like that. I don't think so. There's just nobody like this. And that's why, like, it's almost kind of like, and I know we're going to talk about the draft at some point while I'm here today, but it's kind of like what people expect Wembenyama to be, right. but Wembenyama plays defense. You know, so it, it's such a interesting thing. Jokic is such a rare breed of player. That's why when when he got drafted, I mean, people were so surprised because they're just like, listen, he's slow. He can shoot a little, but, 
you know, what is he going to be? He's going to be, you know, Troy Murphy. Like that, like that's the kind of guy he's going to, he doesn't play defense. He's an okay rebounder. He's, you know, like he came into the draft with all these flaws, but he's developed his game so much. I mean, he's just such a European style of player. And it's just unstoppable. It's really a change of pace for the league. It's something I can appreciate, honestly. Absolutely. And then, the, you know, the broadcast were talking about the game last night, just how much the, the world has really caught up to the United States in terms of talent. I mean, this this 2024 Olympics is going to be no joke for us, uh, depending okay. on who who's, who commits and who doesn't. Uh, real quick, a couple of NFL questions I, I, before we get to the draft. Because um, yeah. I saw this story over the weekend that the Philadelphia Eagles were that close to trading for Russell Wilson. And listen, I'm not going to be the guy who sits back and says like, you know, uh, be Mr. Revisionist history that, uh, you know, how dumb of this move was this to make? And I mean, listen, I'm the idiot who picked the Broncos to win the Super Bowl last season. So, you know, that, that shows how much <laughs> I know about the guy. But again, you listen, you compare, I saw the comparison of their numbers and it's, it's you know, Russell was the better player in 2021. Uh, but I give Philadelphia a lot of credit for sort of pivoting off that and building around Hurts in the offseason. What was sort of your thoughts when you saw that story? Because obviously, uh, I, I think for Philadelphia, that was the best trade that they didn't make. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you bring it up that way because that's exactly how I felt. You know, like it, it, everybody wants to play the revisionist history game where it's just like, oh, wow, thank God Philly didn't do that or how stupid it would have been if they would have done that. Not really. I mean, at that point in time, Russell Wilson was a top five quarterback in the NFL and Jalen Hurts was, I mean, anything but proven, right? Sure. I mean, I still think that Jalen Hurts has a little, has some question marks you know, because we we always see the guy that has the one great year and then they go forward. You know, I still think Jalen Hurts has question marks. I'm not sure he's among the top quarterbacks in the league yet. And I understand the season that he had last year. But listen, Russell Wilson's been doing this for 12 years or however long it's been. And listen, I, I just, you know, I'm kind of in a in a you know in a position where like I'm way higher on Russell Wilson than most people. I still think he can figure it out in Denver, but. Like, listen, at the time, it was, you know, it, it would have been a like if if we were sitting here a year ago and they had made that move and they had traded uh, whatever. I don't know whether Jalen Hurts would have been in the deal or whatever. They they replaced Jalen Hurts with Russell Wilson. I think everybody would have the NFL would have exploded and they would have said, oh, my God, Philadelphia is making moves. They're the favorite for the Super Bowl. But yeah. because he was so bad in Denver, now everybody's just going to be like, well, thank God they didn't do that. Like. I don't think that that's, that's not fair. Russell Wilson at the time was the better player. And listen, I know that this is kind of a hot take. He might still be the better player. You have Ooh. to see Jalen Hurts for more than one year. You got to see it. Well, I think Russell's absolutely, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. I think he's absolutely going to bounce back here. You know, Sean Payton is, people forget what Drew Brees' career was pre-Sean Payton. So he's the guy who you know, is sort of a quarterback whisperer. I looked at Denver's schedule. I have been winning about 10 games, getting to the playoffs this year, uh, and yep. Russell being obviously much better uh, in just about every facet of the game. And then look, last question before we get to the draft. Uh, another quarterback who obviously uh, this offseason made a move to a new team is Aaron Rodgers. And I got to admit to you, Mike, initially I was, as an Aaron Rodgers skeptic, I was just that. I was very skeptical about the move. And the more I thought about it, I said, okay, you know what? Since the first big uh, quarterback transaction was Tom Brady in 2020, then Stafford, then Russ, then Aaron Rodgers, there has always been almost immediately an immediate loser. I have a hard time seeing an instance in which Green Bay is still functional and Rodgers is great and then vice versa, Rodgers is awful, the Packers are awful. And I sort of came this epiphany like, you know what, given how Green Bay's kind of done business, that given how they drafted, I remember we talked about it during the draft show, 
I guess it's more likely that Rodgers is probably successful uh, in a Jets uniform and the, and the Packers take a massive step back. What, what's sort of your thoughts on that? So I, I think it's going to be tough for Aaron Rodgers to be super successful in New York just because that division is going to oh. be a bloodbath this year, right? I still don't know if there's a team in that division that's better than Buffalo. I know that everybody's really high on Miami, but really, are we? do we really have an answer on Tua yet? I'm not sure. Like, that's going to be a very interesting division with a lot of offensive firepower. Now, that's not to say that Rodgers is going to struggle, but I don't think he's going to catapult to the top of the AFC like some people think he will because he's going to be playing in such a chaotic division. I mean, even, listen, I think universally we can agree that New England is probably going to finish last in that division. They're never going to be an easy team to beat. Never. Okay, they will always provide something defensively, and you never know with Mac Jones, right, or whoever they're going to start this year, whatever, whoever's going to be the next Tom Brady. Um, (laughs) But I do think, however, that Green Bay is going to be a mess. Like, that's the side of this that I think is going to happen because, look, I I think very clearly Detroit and Minnesota are better than them. I think Chicago at this point is a a step ahead of them as well. And truthfully, I mean, you're – you're seeing Jordan Love for the first time right now after he was drafted, what, four years ago? Three years ago. I mean, ago. this is a three years ago. So it, it, even still, right? I mean, this is a kid who's supposed to have uber talent but went to a small college. I mean, this is a very, you know, interesting situation for them. And they got stripped of a lot of what they had, right? I mean, out of outside of Christian Watson, who are you really relying on as a receiver in that group? I mean, I just, I think Green Bay at this point is going to be very close to a mess. I think they're going to be somewhere towards the bottom of the league uh, as far as record is concerned. So I think all in all, when you look at, you know, a couple of years down the line, you're going to see, you know, who the winner of this trade is going to end up being. I think inevitably at this point, it's going to be the Jets, but I mean, it, it may turn out to be nothing for either one of them. I think Green Bay is a mess. And the Jets could still be a first-round playoff exit. I have no idea. So, you know, because you and I can both agree now, Bryson, that the AFC is better than the NFC oh, by yeah. leaps and bounds. Yes. So, you know, it's going to be a very interesting story. But I like I like your take on that, that you don't really know, you know, what, what the immediacy of this is going to be. I think right now it'll be the Jets. But listen, they play in a bloodbath. What, what the hell is going to happen? I have no idea. And you sort of hit on a good point with Jordan Love that, you know, he was drafted three years ago. This is year four for him now, sitting behind, obviously, an all-time Hall of Fame great quarterback that, you know, yep. if the Packers do finish at the bottom of the division and potentially the bottom of the league with, obviously, we got the top two quarterbacks next year with Caleb Williams and Drake May. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware of any other top quarterback prospects that could be, you know, in that draft and could be available to a team like Green Bay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if Jordan Love is, isn't all that great, they, they have to consider this being year four, making a real decision on him in terms of whether or not they want him to be the quarterback of the future or not. So, but I'm with you. I do think it's going to be a, a, a down year for Green Bay. Now, a couple of questions for you to really sink your teeth into because you are our draft nut here at the network. Uh, the obvious one, Victor Wimbenyama, the guy we've known for a year now is going to be the number one pick in this year's draft. And now we know it's going to be San Antonio. Uh, I talked about when, during the, the lottery and there was these comparisons between him and LeBron James in terms of you know being hyped up prospects. And I said, I thought LeBron was the better prospect just given what he accomplished you know in high school. And we 
you know, figured, oh, he's the obvious number one pick. And obviously the Cavs, your Cavs were able to, to, to get him. But for Wimbenyama, I think he's the more fasting pick, maybe the most fasting pick that we've seen in this year's draft. Because again, I think we were talking about with Nikola Jokic. I don't know if we really have that much of a comp to him. What sort of your thoughts on Wimbenyama? And do you think he will end up being the best player in this year's draft and help San Antonio get back to where they were once were with Tim Duncan? Yes, 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 and yes. Um, listen, this is the Wemby draft, right? This is, you know, you and I have done two draft shows together and they were both phenomenal and I can't wait for this one. This one's going to be great as well. Absolutely. But this is the Wemby draft. Everything around this draft is revolving around Victor Wembanyama. It's not as deep as drafts years prior. I don't think that the talent in this year's draft is as good as it was last year, but the top tier guy may be the, most top tier guy we've ever seen. I, I mean, he's very clearly, and I've been, listen, I, I, I'm very new at this. I've only been scouting drafts for about six years. So my first draft was 2017 where Lonzo Ball was my number one overall player, but he's the best prospect I've ever evaluated. And it's not close. It's not close. He is, I don't know that there's a hole to his game. He's a little like Chet Holmgren was last year where the complaint was, He's seven foot and he's 195 pounds. This time, I mean, Wemby's probably 220 or 230. I'd have to look at his, his scouting report again. But he's seven foot four and his arms reach the length. He can probably touch both walls of the gym with his with his right. length. He just, I mean, the guy shoots 35 foot three pointers off one leg. I mean, I, I don't know what more you want. I mean, he's just such a ridiculous prospect. I don't know if I'd put him ahead of LeBron just because of all the hype that LeBron got for years prior he, right. that he was draft eligible. I mean, when he was a freshman in high school, people were talking about him and talking about this dude's going to be better than Michael Jordan. I, I don't think Wembanyama is of that tier, but he very well could be the best prospect since. So, I, I mean, uh, San Antonio, and, and could you dream oh. of a more perfect scenario where David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and like he's going in that spot. I mean, that's such a great spot for him to go. I, like, I'm, I'm so, when they got the number one pick, I was so excited because it's just like sports, and you know this too, and I, I love this. And this is why I'm excited to get my podcast back, you know, one of these days soon. Sports is kind of about telling stories. That's what we love about this yes. stuff. What an amazing story it is. For Wembanyama, who I mean, and it hasn't happened yet, but yes, it has, right? It Wembanyama is going to go to the San Antonio Spurs, and what shoes he has to fill? It's just incredible. And you, you, you mentioned the fact that they've had two great bigs, two all-time greats, and um. Uh, David Robinson and Tim Duncan. I also look at the fact that it's almost poetic justice in that the Spurs for years have been the best international scouts. Isn't it kind of uh, yeah. almost it seems yeah. meant to be just all those years of, of a hard labor finding guys like Monty Ginobili and Tony Parker. And now they get the most obvious, you know, great number one overall pick, especially coming from overseas in France. Uh, it, it's yeah. just kind of weird how that kind of came together. Uh, and then this question too about Wimby, because this was also in the discussion that what is the, I talked about this too. What is the proper expectation for Wemby? Just and it's hard to do this because he's not he's not taking his first NBA dribble yet. Yeah. But what are the proper expectations in terms of where he's going to be when he you know 15, 20 years from now? Who knows? Retires? Is it Mount Rushmore guy? Is it top, I said top fifteen player ever? What's what would you consider a a successful career where Victor Wembanyama lives up to all the hype we've got surrounding him? 
I think to live up to the hype, I think he's got to be around top 10, top 15. He needs to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, I think I, – but you're right. It is really tough to, to, to put it on a kid. You know, as far as his play style is concerned and what he draws comparison to, I always have a rule for myself when I evaluate prospects that I never try to combine two players, right? Like it's, it's, I never do this. We're like, this guy reminds me of if this guy and this guy were one player, right? I never do that. I never, because it's, that doesn't exist, right? right? So if somebody reminds me of Jay Crowder, he reminds me of Jay Crowder. Wemby's the guy I broke the rule for. My, I'll, I'll spoil my comparison for him. I won't wait for the draft show. I'll spoil my comparison for him. He is as if Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert were one player. Like it is just, wow. that's the kind of guy you're getting the size and the defensive upside that you would get from Rudy Gobert and the offensive upside with the length and shooting ability, ball handling that Kevin Durant gives you now. That's, that's what you get out of this guy. So you know, like I said, this is going to be a very exciting draft for me just because I know the talent isn't as deep as it was last year um, or maybe even the year before that. But this is maybe the best player that we've ever seen coming out of the draft, and that includes LeBron James. I don't know. I can't wait for this. I'm with you. I cannot wait. Now, a couple of other prospects that – you know, the debate is going to be who goes with the second overall pick is going to be Brandon yeah. Miller is going to be Scoot Henderson. Um, I'm more of a Scoot guy. What's who do you sort of favor in that discussion? Who goes second overall after Wimby? So, I mean, a lot of it is going to have to do with what Charlotte thinks is going to fit them the best. Right. Like, do they do they want to add another guard? I mean, Scoot Henderson's a point guard. You know, right. like you could probably play him at a two, but he's a very good ball mover. Like he's not one of these guys that just scores 30 points a game. He's not Jalen Green, right? Like he's he's very Cade Cunningham. He's a six foot one Cade Cunningham. You know, so it depends on what they want more. Brandon Miller, I have Brandon Miller ranked ahead of him. I have Brandon Miller as my number two overall player. Now, the problem with Brandon Miller is the obvious, right? Like how, right. how much are people going to be worried about Brandon Miller's background to sure. take him so high in the draft? I mean, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect him to fall any later than like four or five. But if you're the Charlotte Hornets, you have to take that into account. I think Brandon Miller fits them a little bit better. It's less, you know, clunky at that guard spot. Brandon Miller fits a very big, like Paul George-ish kind of build, right? Six, nine, good shooter. Like he does all that stuff. So I like Brandon Miller a little bit more, but it all depends on what Charlotte wants to do, how they want to build their roster, who the, who are the guys they want to keep, right? What they want to do with LaMelo Ball, right? Because LaMelo Ball is a very ball-dominant player. He needs the yes. ball in his hands to be effective. So does Scoot Henderson. So does that work? Do they make that decision? So it depends. I mean, I like Miller a little more, but they're both outstanding. I mean, this is this is the top three of the draft. I think they've set, separated themselves with, Wemby's in a class of his own. And then I think Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson are probably in the tier below that by themselves too. So it's going to be cool. It's going to be interesting. Last question, because there are obviously, you mentioned it's not quite as deep of the draft. I certainly agree uh, it's not as deep as 2021 or even last year. Uh, but listen, plenty of guys, Cam, uh, uh, Cam Whitmore, Anthony Black, guys like that. Is there anybody that sticks out? Is there anybody that sticks out to you, you know, in terms of a team sort of the middle of the lottery that you're like, okay, if they could get this guy, maybe, just maybe this could, you know, change the course of the, the, their franchise ever so slightly. So it, I don't know if there's a franchise changer that's going to be that I have ranked that's a little bit um, 
you know, that's good. That's going to be taken late lottery. I don't know that that guy exists. Not like I'm a little bit less high on Anthony Black than most people. I think Anthony Black's lack of a consistent jump shot is really going to hurt him. Um, Cause it's not like, like Amon Thompson and Osar Thompson are, they lack kind of a jump shot too. Osar is a little bit more ahead of Amon, but like they're, they provide great defense. They're six, eight, they're great facilitators. Like they, they're just, they're good players. Uh, Anthony Black is a very, he's a smart guy and he's very situational and all that stuff, but I'm not sure he's going to change anything. One of the guys that I think I'm higher on that I think his stock could go up in the next couple of weeks where you could see it in the, uh, in the, uh, in the lottery is the French guard, Ryan Rupert, who oh. super length, probably the best defender that in the, in the draft, he is such a gifted perimeter defender. I think his two way ability could be among the best in the draft. Um, but again, I, I don't know that I don't know that he's franchise changing, right? I think he could be, you know, one of those players that, you know, becomes very, very good. But I don't know outside of the top three, I'm not sure I see a potential superstar out of everybody. But again, man, we'll see. I mean, look, the, my big board is gonna look much different than what uh you're gonna see a lot of these other guys have, right? I mean, we're, and we're going to see who's right, right? All the Jonathan Wasserman and Sam Vecini and Jonathan Gavoni and those guys, they all have their boards. And these are the big draft guys, Jay Billis, whoever else. Mine's going to be a little bit different. It's just going to be guys where, you know, they might be second round picks, but I got them ranked 15th or 16th. So it's going to be a very cool draft this year. I'm very excited to uh, for it. Last point though. Yeah. If you are a team that needs – like wing players, this is the draft to get one because there's about a trillion yep. of them. Like all these guys, man, Rupert, Kobe Buffkin, Nick Smith, all like there's just a ton of guys, you know, Jordan Hawkins. And like, there's just a ton of players that are among that like six foot six, six foot seven combo wing player kind of mold. So if you need a wing player, this is the draft to do it. That's kind of what wins in today's NBA too. I'll bring up a big that I I'm crying. I'm not. I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but I really hope falls to my Warriors, and that's Derek Lively. I think he fits perfectly with Golden State. Uh, yeah. I I I think he. I don't know. I'm just. I don't want to get my hopes up too much. I know he's young, and maybe doesn't fit the timeline of some of the older guys there. But hey, I can dream. Yeah, right? I, I have a feeling that Derek Lively. I mean, I have Derek Lively ranked in the low twenties to this point. Oh, wait, really? Um, yeah, I, I think Derek Derek Lively is one of those players that I think is a little hyped uh, because he's he's a very very raw player and he needs a lot of development. I mean, he's people like him because they think he's going to be a defensive stalwart in in you know somewhere, and he's going to block a lot of shots in the NBA. Make no question about it. But his offensive game needs a lot of, a lot of work. A lot. Of, it's not like you know what we saw last year when we saw. You know, two very good centers up at the top of the draft, right? And this is excluding Chet Holmgren, but two of the guys that we saw last year was Jalen Duran and Mark Williams. Yep. And, I mean, they were both kind of polished on both ends. They were both great defensive players and virtually automatic when they were standing underneath the rim. That's not Derek Lively. Derek Lively doesn't have much of a post game. His athleticism is good, but he's a little sporadic. He needs, you know, he needs a little bit of help with knowing where he is. You know, he's a raw player, but I do think that his stock is going to carry into the lottery because one of the things I just brought up that this is a very deep wing draft. This is a very, and I mean, very thin center draft. 
If you want a big, this is not the draft to get one. It's Wemby, Derek Lively, Noah Clowney, and that's pretty much it. Like, there's not much, you know, many other guys that are going to play a significant role. And Noah Clowney is kind of a tweener big. So, you know, it it's interesting, man. But I don't know. I don't know that you should be heartbroken if Lively doesn't fall to the Warriors. He's a good okay. player, but he needs a lot of work. I'll take your word for it. I'll say you're you're the expert, not me. I'm this why I'm relying (laughs) on you folks. If you could see, if you could see the scouting reports that Mike sends me and, and uh, our other co-host Barry Grant Jr. uh, going these draft shows, it is, it is incredible. So shout out to you, Mike, the grid 2023 NBA draft live reaction show will be on. Let's see. Today's the fifth. So I guess, uh, what was it? What's the day to the 23rd? 22nd. We have seven days, 17 days. And 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 what is your goal for this year's draft? So that everybody out there knows. Hey, listen, we're 58 picks again this year. (laughs) If we go 58 for 58, we are throwing a party. We're doing it. Listen, I scouted 90 players fully last year. My own team did it to me with Luke Travers, and it broke my heart. (laughs) This year, we're going 100 players deep on the scouting report. It's going to be bigger this year. It's going to be bigger and better. And this is going to be the best draft show ever, I'm telling you. I cannot wait. Mike Guido, great stuff as always. Cannot wait for the draft show. And uh, talk to you again, my man. Yeah, thanks, Bryce. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Mike Guido, great stuff as always. Like I said, if you, if you want anything, and I, I mean anything, revolve around the NBA draft, the NFL draft. He did a fantastic job along with Ryan Flowers, along with the other incredible guests we had on the Grid 2023 NFL Live Draft Reaction Show. He's he, He's fantastic. This will be... Uh, and, and well, I think we may have some more, uh, uh, some more co-hosts for the NBA draft show this year, but at least for, uh, myself, Mike and, uh, Barry, this will be the third year in a row that we've done uh, a draft of live reaction show. And I absolutely cannot wait for it. Like it's a, it's a great, it's a great collection of guys to, you know, bring together the finals just concluded. We're going in the NBA offseason. free agency is the week after that. Like it's a great sort of in between the finals and free agency time, uh, just to see all these young guys, you know, get drafted and. You know, the best part is obviously their dreams coming true and and just seeing who fits and, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to develop into the stars that we think they are capable of being. So very exciting. And I'm in 100% agree with him. This is this is the Victor Wimbanyama draft, and there's no question about it whatsoever. Now, let me get a drink for this one. Ah, so I'm like, because I, I, I wanted to have all my bearings about me when I got into this. So it's a topic I wanted to do. Last week, but I decided to postpone it just because all the things we had going on the finals. Uh, my man John Rivera was on the show, did a fantastic job as always on Thursday. So I, I kind of wanted to postpone it and just give it its own time, its own segments, and just dive right into it. So, and I normally don't talk about other shows and whatnot, but this is a big one just because it's it, it's kind of shaking up the the sports media landscape, and that is that... NFL Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp, who has been the co-host of FS1's Undisputed for almost seven years now, is going to be leaving the network. He, according to the New York Post, agreed to a buyout. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And he will be a, in a sense, free agent media member, uh, if you will. So there's been a lot of discussion about this and people, you know, mad at uh, Shannon, people, uh, you know, mad at Skip and all, all this and all that. I think it is a lot more nuanced than people are giving it credit for. Here's why. So what is one of my, fa- it, may, it might be my favorite saying that I have on Carving It Up Live, outside of if I were a Batman. Two things can be true. In most instances in life, it is possible, believe it or not, that two things can simultaneously be factually correct. When Shannon Sharp joined FS1 and undisputed to join, obviously, Skip Bayless, even a staunch Shannon Sharp defender or a big Shannon Sharp fan as I am, and there's there's a lot of those out there, obviously, it is inarguable. Skip was the draw for Undisputed in 2016. He had just left uh, First Take. He had co-hosted that. I think it was four years uh, with Stephen A. Smith, who still hosts First Take and does a fantastic job, obviously, over there. But he leaves to, to have his own show. He's able to have more power to control the segments and control what he wants to talk about. That's why he does. Obviously, he was, <laughs> he was given a, a pretty big contract by FS1. Then that's why he joined. And he told the FS1 bosses, by all accounts, by his and Shannon's, all the execs have said, Skip would not do the show unless Shannon was his co-host. Like if if they they didn't he didn't want anybody to try out he didn't want to bring any other any other journalist or athletes in he said no I want to do it with this guy I'm not doing the show if Shannon Sharp is not my co-host so he went to bat for Shannon and listen Shannon was a guy who was obviously on the NFL on CBS for I think a decade if I'm not mistaken but obviously we knew Shannon for his fantastic playing career he's one of the five greatest tight ends of all time I don't think it's even a debate three Super Bowl championships uh NFL Hall of Fame Pro Football Hall of Famer should have been first ballot that's neither here nor there but he became the co-host with Shannon here's the thing though or, sorry he became the 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 co-host with Skip as time went on because we knew who Skip was. We knew he hates LeBron James, loves the Dallas Cowboys. You know, there's, he has his favorite athletes. He loves Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. He hates Steph Curry. Like, he hates Aaron Rodgers. We kind of knew Skip's brand. But we wanted to see it in a new sort of unfiltered version that maybe he wasn't necessarily, or he didn't feel he was able to do at ESPN. Fine. But as time went on, ooh, it was Shannon who became the star of that show. They really got to a point in time where it was they were sort of on equal footing in terms of popularity. And then I'd say in the last three to four years, Shannon was the guy people tuned in primarily to hear his takes. He's got a unique way about him. He's got the the unk uh, sort of persona that he has on camera, the whole bit. And in the last couple of years, he started the Club Shay Shay podcast, obviously with uh, Fox and reportedly according to um, the New York Post. Uh, he's going to, you know, t- take all the ownership rights of Club Shay Shay, take that with him, and do whatever he wants to do with it. And by the way, just in two years, Club Shay Shay has over a million subscribers. Evidently, it's doing pretty well. Uh, he's gotten good guests like Steve Harvey. He's gotten Magic Johnson. Uh, he just did a really good episode with um, with Tabitha Brown. I mean, he's getting he's getting rappers, entertainers, athletes, everybody on his podcast, and he has become the star of Undisputed. And you've seen in recent years, there's been a bit of a disconnect in terms of 
the arguments, even the heat, especially the heated ones between Skip and Shannon, don't seem to be just revolved around sports. They seem to be a bit personal. Many have speculated that the big reason, sort of the, the fork in the road moment that Shannon left undisputed was when, when the tragic incidents happened with Damar Hamlin, goes down, collapses on the field, needs CPR. We all know how that went, and thank the good Lord above, Damar Hamlin is, is alive, healthy, and doing very well. Thank God. But Skip put the insensitive tweet uh, that night. Shannon did not show up for Undisputed the next day. Skip did the show solo. Shannon did show up the next day, did the monologue. Skip interrupted him. They go back and forth, and people are like, okay, that was it. Like that's That's when Shannon knew he was leaving Undisputed. At least the way I see it, to me, that was the that was just the icing on the cake. That was the cherry on top of the milkshake. To me, this is sort of the moment where Shannon's like, I'm out. This is just straight hate by a guy who's jealous that he is still playing at a high level at 45 when you had to stop at 35. That's what you do. That's the point. That's what you do. Every time somebody, every time I call something into question, I'm jealous. No. I did what I did. I never said you were jealous of Baker Mayfield. I did what I did. You make it seem like I was a bum. I'm in the effing Hall of Fame. Okay, I so got three what? Super Bowls. So what? So what? He's way better than you were. I'm better way than you. Better. Yeah, what I got to see what you do. You take personal shots. No, you, for I, don't, I don't take yeah. personal Hold shots. On, you started out. it. Time out. You would take a personal shot at me. I didn't so, take oh, a personal shot at you. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? You would take a personal shot. Put your glasses back on. Can I finish? You're willing to take a personal shot at me to say this man is better than me because I say he's playing bad this year? Well, because you 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 just go ahead. You disrespect him. It's it's just so. It, so it's you, just, you know what? It's beneath your you dignity. You would disrespect me to no, support him. No, well, I'll, I'll support him over anybody because he's the greatest player who ever have played your it. game, and it's by have far. At it. Have at it. Okay? Take off, bro. I'm going to have at it because I'm going to have at you. That was the moment when Shannon knew he was leaving undisputed. Because they debated Tom Brady for years, like that's that's he's become a a, a big uh, discussion point for them. Skip's a big Brady guy. Uh, Shannon has been more willing to criticize Brady if he doesn't play well. We know how that went, but the second that it became personal and Skip took and took a shot at Shannon Sharp's career as if he was just this, as Shannon Sharp said, "You you act like I'm a bum. I'm in I'm in the Hall of Fame, and Skip's act, out here acting like he's just some nobody, just spouting up stuff about Tom Brady." And he defends Tom Brady over the guy who he's been, you know, uh, on-air partners with for, you know, a half decade. And that was, at least from, from my view watching that, I was like, okay, yeah, he's, he's, he's out. He's out on undisputed. He's, he's done. According to the New York Post as well, this played into it as well. According to the New York Post, quote, those close to Sharp said privately, he did not seek to be the unquestioned leader on the show, but wanted to be an equal with Bayless in the program's topic selection. Hasn't that been the complaint, the main complaint of Undisputed? It's like, okay, they're going to talk about LeBron, they're going to talk about Brady, they're going to talk about the Cowboys, maybe a little Baker or Steph or Aaron Rodgers sprinkled in there. It's kind of the same old, same old. They don't talk about other teams. They don't talk about other athletes. Like, it's very rare in which they do so. It's kind of the same old set. Now, they'll talk about the finals because they have to. It's the finals. But in any other instance, they wouldn't be talking about the Nuggets. They wouldn't be talking about the Heat. 
that's kind of been the criticism of the show. Whereas other shows like first things first, which is my personal favorite sports show on FS1, uh, Colin Cowherd show first, uh, first take on ESPN. It's got a wide variety of topics. Whereas undisputed is sort of kind of boxed in. It's the same old, same old every Monday through Friday. And Shannon wanted more say in topic selection. Skipped it and want that. And so that, to me, is also a big reason that Shannon's leaving the network. And finally, sort of piggybacking off the first point, Skip has been, we know he is the, he certainly, there's no question he debated, uh, he debated, he created this sort of debate-style format on television, and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. I'm not going to poo-poo what he accomplished in that regard. It is because of Skip that Stephen A. was on first take. It is because of Skip that Shannon Sharp was on Undisputed. And we know Skip has been the sort of big controversial personality in sports media. He's more critical of athletes than most are. He has takes that we're like, what the heck? Did he actually just say that? Like, you know, back in the day, he thought Tim Tebow was like on an equal level of Aaron Rodgers. Like just saying crazy stuff. But listen, that's big reason he's gotten to where he was. And I don't, I don't fault the man at all for that. But in the last two, three years, it's gone beyond sports. Mentioned the Damar Hamlin tweet. Mentioned what he said to Shannon Sharp. Could we forget the fact, this is where Skip officially lost me personally, was when uh, Dak Prescott, and I'm not just saying this hand to God, I'm not just saying this because it's Dak Prescott. Say it if it were any athlete. But when Dak Prescott goes public about how he struggled with his mental health during the pandemic, especially after his brother committed suicide, and Skip called him weak for that, that was when it was like, whoa. Okay, this just went beyond sports. He's been more uh, condescending of Shannon. I mean, even that clip, put your glasses back on. Come on. Really? He's taking shots of Scan Shannon. Oh, he's, he's interrupted over the years. I remember there was one second they were talking about Cowboys, Eagles, and he was just groaning. Ugh. Every time Shannon made a point, Shannon's like, okay, you know what? You talk. In a media, in a sports media where there's been so many uh, new personalities come in the mix, a lot of them being ex-athletes, be it Draymond Green, be it J.J. Redick, uh, you know, Nate Burleson, who's gone even beyond the NFL. He's on like CBS uh, this morning, I think, uh, Monday through Friday, does a fantastic job there. In a world of new media personalities, bringing new fresh ideas and fresh takes, Skip hasn't really changed that much. He hasn't evolved. He hasn't changed his game. Check Skip's podcast ratings. Check Shannon's podcast ratings. Night and day. People have kind of gotten tired of the, of, of the same old shtick. The same old act. Not saying Skip doesn't believe what he's saying. I absolutely think Skip believes what he's saying. This is who Skip is. After a while, Shannon was like, okay, if I'm not going to be even an equal on a show that bears both of our names... Despite the fact that I'm actually the star of the show at this point. Okay. Now, as for what Shannon will do uh, following this, I saw, and I watched the podcast live as it was going on, uh, Stephen A. Smith's podcast, just an open recruitment of Shannon Sharp to first take. That'd be great. I mean, I don't know who wouldn't you know sign up to see a, a duo. Now, uh, uh, Stephen A. also talked about, you know, Shannon won't be like an everyday guest or something. He'll sort of be in the the rotation of guys like, you know, Ryan Clark, who also does a fantastic job for ESPN or Dan Orlovsky or anybody they bring in. And so Shannon would be a part of that. Hey, I think any of us would like to see that. But 
according also, and this is really interesting to me, to Marcellus Wiley, former NFL player, used to work at FS1, was on the Speak for Yourself, which is now called Speak with Emmanuel Acho, and he's got his own podcast now. Wiley knows Skip, Wiley knows Shannon, Wiley knows FS1. And he was talking on his podcast about how Undisputed is really struggling to find a co-host for Skip now. He's kind of at this stage in his career, let's be honest, kind of the co-host killer. There was a post on Instagram the other day that it said, Breaking news, Shannon Sharp leaving Undisputed. It was actually a post by Marcellus Wiley. Breaking news, Shannon Sharp leaving Undisputed. The former moderator of the show, Jenny Taft, liked the post. Marcellus Wiley also did an Instagram uh, video from his podcast talking about uh, why Shannon left. And a lot, a lot of it was what I was talking about, how Shannon wanted equal control that Skip got, didn't get it. Shannon Sharp himself liked the post. Check Shannon Sharp's Twitter and certain tweets he's liked. Very anti-Skip Bayless. Call me crazy. I'm going to roll with what Shannon knows about Skip over what anybody else who hasn't worked with Skip knows about him. Do I think Skip is a bad human being? I'm not going to cast it on. I've never met the man. Everybody, even, even Marcellus, even Shannon and Stephen A. talk about, you know, he's a, he's a good dude away from the camera. All I'm saying is when you get to a point where your co-host is taking personal shots at you show after show after show, constantly interrupting you, uh, constantly disrespecting you and your career. Is it shocking that you know you might want to leave? You might want to change of scenery when you know, you know what it reminds me of? Here's a great sports analogy. It actually involves Skip's, maybe Skip's favorite athlete, Tom Brady. First few years of Tom Brady's career, he needed Belichick. Like that first Rams Super Bowl, Brady won the Super Bowl MVP. Brady had the game-winning drive against the Rams. Deserves all the credit in the world for that. Played solid in that game. That was about the Patriots' defense. That's the greatest show on turf, and they held to what? Was it 20 points or something? I forgot, 17 points, I think. It was like 20 or less points that they held that defense to. And by the way, they got a pick six off of Kurt Warner in that game as well. So technically, the Patriots' offense scored like 13 points. Brady needed a belt, needed Belichick at that point in his career. Then he gets around like 2007 to around 2010, 11, that, that stage. Uh, and it was kind of equal footing. Like, Belichick needed Brady to put up points on the board. Brady would need Belichick's defense to, if they're trying to make a comeback, get a turnover, uh, get the ball back quickly so that Brady had time to engineer one of his iconic, you know, comebacks. And then we got to the end of Brady's tenure in New England and into the Tampa Bay years where he didn't need Belichick at all. Like, sub almost any coach in the Belichick spot, Brady would have been just as successful. He's putting up 40 touchdowns a year, Patriots offense, despite having little to no talent whatsoever outside of Gronk, putting up ridiculous offensive numbers. Brady didn't need Belichick at that stage of his career. That, to me, is Skip and Shannon. Earlier on, Shannon needed Skip. Like, Shannon needed the platform created by Skip, created by that show, in order to rise into the superstar in the media that he is now. We get to sort of the middle years where it's, what does Skip say about LeBron? What does Shannon, who's a huge LeBron fan, what does he say about LeBron and a range of other topics? And the last few years, uh, we don't really care what Skip has to say. What, what's Shannon got to say about this? 
Shannon's star is rising. Skips is kind of falling. It's kind of the same old, same old. We know how it goes. There's not a whole lot of... I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in this, just even outside the world of sports, that when new information presents itself, I change my opinion, or at least revise my opinion ever so slightly at the very least. That's not what Skip does. I don't know how successful you can be in this business when doing that today in 2023. That is why Shannon is leaving Skip. As for Undisputed, <laughs> who... Who knows? Did they bring in a journalist like Stephen A. Smith? Did they bring in an ex-athlete like Shannon? What I do know is the show will not have quite the same success. This co-host will in all likelihood not have the same camaraderie that Skip and Shannon had earlier in the history of Undisputed. That's why I think at the end of the day, Shannon Sharp has decided to leave the network. I hope now Club Shashi will still be its own thing. It'll still crush as it's been doing. I hope Shan's at least a part of certainly NFL coverage in some way, shape, or form, be it with first take, be it with a network like, uh, well, he just got bought at FS1, so he wouldn't be a part of the Fox crew, but uh, maybe if he went back to CBS or even to ESPN for Monday Night Football, I don't know. Peacock, you know, Amazon with Thursday Night Football, that'd be great. But whatever whatever happens, I know Shannon is going to um, going to crush it. No question about that. Okay, so yeah, I just wanted to get my take on that just because it's it's very relevant in the world of sports media. Let's see. Uh, oh, good point, Patrick. What's up, Patrick Brown? Host the Chaotic Sports Podcast and the uh, forum here on the grid. Patrick, not to mention, Skip was jealous of Shannon and Jenny's on-air chemistry. His facial expression says it all. I wouldn't be surprised if it's rebranded to Undisputed with Skip Bayless. Well, I'll tell you this, Patrick, and to the audience. If it's Skip by himself, that show's going in the tank. It's not going anywhere. Skip needs the type of opposite of him, like a Shannon, like a Stephen A. Smith, to sort of play off of his takes. That's, in large part, what's made him so successful. If it's just Skip solo, again, check his podcast, check Shannon's. That's a good point, Patrick. And again, remember Skip had that blow up with Jenny when... uh, Skip was criticizing Mike McCarthy's weight, and she straight up confronted him on that. And they had a like a real, and poor Shannon was like looking so uh, uncomfortable there. He was like, "Okay, come on, guys, we're a team." Like, and you could hear Skip saying, uh, "No, we're not." And that was probably the moment where Jenny is like, "Okay, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm out of undisputed." And uh, we haven't seen her undisputed since the Super Bowl. She's uh, doing soccer coverage and college football and doing a fantastic job and. Like I said, you can tell social media is like the place now in 2023 to send subtle messages uh, through what you like, through certain uh, captions you put on your post, through certain pictures. It doesn't matter what is the case. Like people use social media for that regard. I just thought it was really interesting that that Jenny liked an anti-skip uh, post and Shannon has liked numerous anti-skip posts. That tells me everything that I need to know. Uh, last thing real quick before we move on to game three of the finals. Patrick, Skip is under contract until 2025. Crazy thing that, is that nobody has mentioned. Skip wanted to leave FS1 in 2020 until the pandemic happened. He was trying to start his own thing outside of FS1. I did not know that, Patrick. I, 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 that, I, that's, I did not know that. That's interesting. 
yeah, because the pandemic happened. Everybody's kind of stuck. Like that was, I shouldn't say that's not the time that people need to start their podcast because there are people here on the Grid Network who did that and have done fantastic jobs. Like I started my show in October of 2019. So that's middle of the NFL season. I, I started at that time because that was right when that NBA season was starting. Uh, and obviously I, like everybody else, did shows during COVID. So I was relying on like the draft, the last dance. And after the last dance, it was like, God, can we just get some sports? <laughs> like I have nothing to talk about. On a sports show, there's no sports. Like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Like, it'd be like if, uh, it'd be like if, if you had a movie podcast, and there was no move, new movies out. It's like, well, what are we going to, what are we going to do here? We're going to talk about the old movies. And sometimes what we, what's what we do? We talk about top 10 this and, you know. It's, it was, but I get, listen, there, like I said, there are people here on this network at the grid and even people outside of it who started podcasts around that time during the pandemic. Hey, hats off to y'all. I cannot imagine starting a podcast being new to this whole space with no sports going on. Like that's, that's a different level of, of, of commitment. So hats off to every single one of y'all. Uh, okay. So we got a little breaking news here in the NFL. Uh, and this came out a little bit earlier today, but we have a name to it now. According to Adam Schefter, the NFL is probing Colts corner Isaiah Rogers for possible betting. So looks like we could have more more players in trouble for, for gambling. That's that's not great. By the way, real quick, last podcast promo, and then I'll get to game three of the finals. If you guys haven't seen the Draymond Green, the Draymond Green show, which you know is a great podcast, obviously, because it's got Draymond Green. He did an instant reaction for game two with Steve Kerr. It was as good a basketball analysis as you'll get. I'm not just saying that as a Warriors fan. Like, it was – y'all go check that stuff out. It's fantastic. Yeah. Draymond's doing a great job with the new media, and Steve Kerr was was a part of it, and it was – like I said, definitely check that out. Okay. Game three of the NBA Finals, Wednesday night, 8.30 Eastern, on ABC, series tied 1-1. Let's just go and get right into the prediction. Get the back Oh. This is a game. This is, you know, the, we talk about the swing game is usually like game four, certainly game five when a series is tied 2-2. But I think when a series is tied 1-1, especially when one team just stole home court advantage from the other, it can really swing the series as well. So coming into this game... Obviously, and Mike Guido talked about it aptly, like the, if you're a Denver Nuggets fan or a Denver Nugget player or coach, you're sitting back and saying, yeah, it's 1-1, but hey, on the bright side, it's 1-1, and we haven't really played that well at all. So that can be sort of the rallying cry for Denver, like, man, if we play to what we're capable of, we can beat these guys. Because I, even I have said coming into this series, as a guy who picked Miami to win in six games, I think Denver's the better team. I just don't think it's by the, you know, colossal margin that people are making it out to be. I think that's way underestimating Miami and to a certain degree over uh, overestimating Denver just a little bit. D D Denver's a great team. They're just not to the level like, uh, you know, the 01 Shaq and Kobe Lakers or the 2017 Warriors or the 96 Bulls. Like, that. that's all I'm saying. They're still a great team, but so is Miami. So, game three in Miami. Series shifts now to South Beach. And this is a Heat team. We talk about how great the Nuggets have been at home. This is a Heat team that's only lost two playoff games in their home building, that obviously being their last two playoff games against the Boston Celtics, games four and game six, which Miami, now they didn't execute that last play well, but they got as, as unlucky as you can possibly get 
where you're two tenths of a second away from the finals. And then here comes Derek White to save the day at the last second. Fortunately for Miami, they came in and, and kicked, uh, kicked Boston out of their own gym, and that's why they're in the finals. Like I was mentioning earlier, and this to me is the big adjustment for Denver, is defensively. We know Miami's a great shooting team, and people acting like last night was an aberration, like, oh, they're not going to shoot that well again. They may not shoot 48% from three again, but they're a great three-point shooting team. They're not. They're going to knock down open shots when they get the opportunity. They got plenty of shooters. Guys like Vincent, Caleb Martin, Kevin Love, Kyle Lowry. Does Tyler Hero come back from this game? That, to me, is a big, big uh, sort of swing for Miami because that's a 20-point score and maybe your best three-point shooter coming back in the lineup. Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, they got shooters everywhere. Even Jimmy's capable of knocking down the occasional three from the corner. Um, Miami's going to knock down their threes. The thing is, and again, so I'll play the tape once again, Denver has to clean up their coverage in the pick and roll against three-point shooters. Again, this is four instances in the game that I saw. Here's Max Struess the first time, wide open for a three off the screen with Kyle Lowry. Uh, he's coming in and, okay, here again, coming to screen for Jimmy. They lose him. He gets an open shot in the corner once again. That's the first quarter. Shifting to the third quarter, the little double screen there. Kevin Love gets, you know, they, they lose Kevin Love. He gets an open three there, straight on. They lose Gabe Vincent. They double-team Duncan Robinson, and Gabe Vincent gets a wide-open three from the corner in the fourth quarter, which gave the Heat the lead. That's 12 points that you lost in a game that which you lost by three points. That, to me, is going to be the thing I'm looking at for Denver, in which do they correct that in game three. For Miami, do they, and I think the answer is yes, do they stick to the same game plan against Jokic that they did in game two? Where, and I've said this, go back watch during the second round Jokic had a 50 point game against Phoenix uh, by the way a Phoenix team that has no bench and the Suns won that game and I said Jokic you would much rather Jokic go for 40 or even 50 as opposed to 25 to 30 with double digit assists and the stats back that up the Nuggets are 0 and 3 this playoffs when Jokic goes for 40 or more points that's three of their four postseason losses in total so it's going to be a matter of whether or not that in the zone, if Miami continues to throw that zone at, 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 at Jokic, does, is, are, are those other guys, are the shooters, Michael Porter Jr., who's having an awful series at this point, shooting like 17% from three, uh, is just playing bad. Jamal Murray struggled the last game. Are those other guys able to step up for them? Are they going to be given the opportunity, given whatever defense Miami throws at Denver, to step up? Is this a game where Jokic goes for like 45, 12 rebounds, but four assists or five assists. Jamal Murray is under 20. Maybe you get an Aaron Gordon who, who gives you a good scoring output. And then for Miami, it's 20 points by Bam. It's 25 to 27 by Jimmy. It's, you know, 11 from Kyle Lowry. It's nine from Kevin Love. Like a, a, a balanced scoring output, which is what they've done all season long. Or all playoffs long, certainly. Again, it's a Heat team that's number one in the postseason in three-point percentage. I gotta be honest with y'all. As far as my prediction for this game, so I said Heat and six coming in. I thought they, the Heat would win game one. Nuggets would win game two uh, coming into the series. Obviously, I did pick the Heat to win game two after they lost game one. So the series has kind of gone to this point around what I thought it'd be, a split series going to Miami. I can honestly say that if Miami was the home favorite, that I would pick them. How Miami is a three-point dog in a series in which they have the momentum, they just stole game two on the road in Denver 
and outplayed the Nuggets. In a game, by the way, Nuggets didn't play one game one either at home. Again, a Heat team that might be getting an addition in Tyler Hero, either for this game or potentially for Friday's game four. And I'm supposed to think, yeah, home team automatically gets three points and Denver's still favored. That is why I'm going to go with the Miami Heat to win game three of the NBA Finals and do it fairly convincingly by a final score of 112 to 100 over the Denver Nuggets. I swear to y'all, if Miami was the favorite, I would pick Denver for this game. If, if it changes, if Tyler Hero is like worth four points, which I doubt, uh, I don't think he's that impactful, you know, four points impactful uh, to, a, to a Vegas spread. I, I think for Miami, and you heard Jimmy Butler talking about it. You heard, uh, I think it was Caleb Martin talking about it and Kyle Lowry. Like, man, at this point, we don't even care. Like, y'all have underrated us all postseason long. At this point, why do we even care what you think? Okay, we're here in the finals. We're three wins away from an NBA championship. They're going to take that mentality into game three. I think Denver's going to be a little bit overwhelmed by the crowd of Miami. That place gets loud. Miami doesn't get enough credit for that. With the heat rolling, especially in the second half, that place gets rocking. So I'm going to go with the Miami Heat to win 112 to 100 over the Denver Nuggets to take a 2-1 series lead uh, into Friday's Game 4. That's what I got. Patrick Brown in the comments, the Miami disrespect. I said in my NBA Finals preview show on Chaotic, this team doesn't flinch. No, they do not. No question about that. That's what, that's what I love about them. It's, it's, again, the poise. Uh, last time I'll read the stat today, uh, it is, let me, look, is, it, is it here? Here, here we go. Miami's point differential in these playoffs from quarter to quarter. In the first quarter, minus one. In the second quarter, minus 11. In the third quarter, minus 12. In the fourth quarter, plus 90. You said it, Patrick. This team doesn't flinch. This team's got a lot of dudes who've been there and done that, and Denver does not. And I feel like as the series wears on, you're going to see that more and more. That's the, the two things. I talk about adjustments. And after game one, it was, what was, oh yeah, it was what defense do they throw at Jokic? Because you can't stop Jokic. That, that's the thing that Miami sort of just submitted to in game two. We can't stop him. It's just, which, which poison kills us the slowest? Right, which poison gives us the the the, the best chance, the, the the best opportunity to get the antidote or whatever? It's playing Jokic straight up, letting him get his forty points, forty or more points, and not letting anybody else get going. That's what it was, and so, and listen, we we've seen teams throw that at superstars in the past, and it's worked. And it's, it hasn't worked. It just depends on the personnel you got. And Miami's got the personnel in order to, to guard against guys like MPJ and Gordon and KCP. Obviously, Jamal Murray, who Jimmy Butler did a great job guarding uh, throughout the game. So, uh, this is going to be a great game three. Again, I got Miami 112 to 100 over the Denver Nuggets. And uh, they will take a 2-1 series lead in these NBA Finals. That is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Big shout out to Mike Guido for stopping by the show today to talk about the NFL, uh, the, the Russell Wilson story, Aaron Rodgers, NBA Finals, and his favorite, of course, the NBA Draft. Uh, I just hate that we weren't able to get into uh, how the Red Sox are going to take the series against the New York Yankees this weekend, but that's neither here nor there. But big shout out to Mike Guido. Thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. 
It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network. Any and everywhere you get your podcast here on YouTube, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get and listen to your favorite podcast. I'm on there. Uh, Mike is going to be on there pretty soon. As he sort of alluded to, he'll be, he'll be having a podcast coming soon to the grid. We've got some other awesome content creators here on the network. Miami 112, Denver 100. I say Jimmy goes for 27. Jokic has a 38-point game. I'll say 38, just short of 40. 38-point game, and nobody else for Denver gets going. And as we all know, the old rule in sports, in the playoffs, in basketball, the role players are always better at home than they are away from home. That will be the case for the Miami Heat. Everybody who steps the floor outside of Cody Zeller will step up. That's what I got. Have a great week, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please be sure to call your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence. Have a great week, y'all. Stay safe. God bless you all. Peace out. Yeah, I said it. Red Sox are beating the Yankees this series. You watch. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Picture yourself wrapped in its softness. Whether you're enjoying a captivating TV show, gathered around a crackling campfire, or cheering for your favorite football team, Minky understands your fall cravings. Our blankets are tailor-made for those heartwarming autumn vibes. With a variety of colors, they're perfect for complementing the hues of fall, as well as showing off your team pride with their vibrant team colors. And the best part? We've got sizes for the whole family, ensuring that everyone can experience the joy of cozying up in Minky's embrace. This fall, let Minky be your companion in creating unforgettable moments. Wrap yourself in comfort, share love, and relish the essence of the season. Minky Blankets, where warmth meets love in every color for every moment. Fall into one of our Minky Couture stores or visit us online at minkycouture.com.